The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy in Transition podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. I'm coming to you live from the Upright Digital Studios in Houston, Texas. I am joined as usual with the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering. How are you, sir? I am loving life. Loving life. This sounds good. It's a great start. Very enthusiastic this morning. I know. I, it's, it's the middle of the week for us recording this podcast. Memorial Day is coming up. Oh, that's right. I think I'm being... End of school. School's already over. We're in camp season, so it's uh, life is good. And you? Same, same. Life is good. My kids actually get out tomorrow, so a lot of their friends have been out for about a week, and mine are just staring at the calendar waiting, so they get out tomorrow. Today's field day for the kids, which Uh is a great... I mean, if you remember... What did you do at field day? You threw, like, water balloons and... I went to... I went to a... A school that had 50 kids per class yeah so we didn't have anything called field day they just stared at you on the last day of school it was like get out of here (laughs) and when we took water guns on the school bus that was it that was yeah i mean i didn't have big classes either but i remember some kind of joyous yeah rural missouri there is no joy related to school (laughs) just you're done yes go help somebody farm this summer that's right that's exactly right well that's why you're dan pickering today well, this is, I mean, you leave me, I feel like we have to get into this interview immediately with, with that entry yes, point. Just no, absolutely nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. With, I, I start on a high <laughs> and pull it down. <laughs> Nothing to end. Well, hang on. I got to lighten this up. Yeah. I guess we're, my kids are going to camp. I'm, I'm in a great mood. I'm going to go to the colonial this weekend oh, fun. for the, uh, to watch the, that, that guy was it Michael block. Did you see the, the guy that hit the <laughs> hole in one at the, oh. the PGA? Did that go in the hole, Rory? Wasn't that his comment? Yeah, wasn't that a great deal? Yeah. So I'm going to go watch him. Uh, he got a, a sponsor's exemption, so that'll be fun to see him nice. play this weekend. And that's really my big plan. I've got just one little thing to do this week, and, and then it's just kids, kids, kids. Yes. So, yes. It's, it's summertime. It is. And before we, when this podcast drops, it'll be kind of summertime. So yep. great summertime listening. And Road trips jo- for everybody. Yeah. Exactly. And we're joined by Angela John. Angela, welcome. Thank you. Um, Angela has a a very interesting background. We share being engineers. Um, Angela spent some some time as an engineer, as a trader, as a corporate venture capitalist, and now as a board member. And so we have a lot of ground to cover in this interview. I'm really excited uh, to do it. So Angela, welcome. Thank you. Hello. Can you please tell us that your last day of school was slightly more fun than Dan Pickering's last day of school? Do you remember? You know, I always liked school, yes. so I was kind of sad for the last day oh of school. Oh, my. I'm one this of those people. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is... Prepare for the nerding <laughs> out, Josh. Yes. Oh, yeah. man. Okay. Well, this, here <laughs> we go, That's what you've got to me. <laughs> yeah. 
prepare for this podcast on your road trip, everyone. Exactly. Well, Angela, that's a it's a great segue into just tell us a little bit about you. You know, evidently you loved going to high school, but take us from from there to here. Yeah. So first of all, life is good. And I'm a lot of things, but I guess you're here to hear about the energy transition and, and the work that I've done. So yes. I'll start with that. Yeah. Um, I have been an energy executive for most of my career. I'm currently serving on the board of directors um, for Parkland Corporation. So they're a Canadian-based public company. Symbols um, PKI on the Toronto, right? Is, yeah. yeah. My management career, um, so prior to being in the governance side with boards, uh, included developing William's strategy on how to build businesses around their commitment to get to net zero, as well as working uh, with BP at BP most of that time in the supply and trading organization. Um, my family and I live on the west side of Houston. I'm a fourth generation Texan and third uh. generation engineer. Uh, we grew up, I grew up in Baytown, so on the other side of Houston, uh, in the shadow of the Exxon refinery. And as Dan said, I earned a chemical engineering degree from the University of Houston. I'm a local girl. And I began my career at Amoco in Texas City at the chemical plant there. Did you have family that was in oil and gas growing up? Did, third generation. They all, were in it as well? Uh, all, the, all the engineers were in oil and gas. Okay. Yeah. Nice career. Okay. One, one of the things that was really interesting when we were uh, doing the prep for this podcast is uh, Angela showed me a a book that her dad had on his his bookshelf published in 1975 talking about mm. resource constraints and so and that we were going to need to pivot to wind and solar yes. and hydrogen because we were going to run out of oil in 75 in yeah, 1975 so, so for those of us that were around then i mean yeah. I, I was a kid but it was influential the the energy conservation that we needed to do and the thinking about how the energy system would move forward. Yeah. So almost 50 years later, we're finally getting there. That's right. And so it makes me wonder what 50 years from now we're going to look back and say, oh, I remember the podcast we did and we were talking about this, this, mm -hmm. this, and this. And there are going to be some things that have skyrocketed and some things that are going have, to have. Have you read that book recently? You know, I've been thumbing through it, but you yeah. know, there's so many good things to read now yeah. that it's hard to spend too much time on something that I know is dated. As I well. just I would be curious to hear to know what their thoughts were in 75 versus today, just what they think or thought was going to happen. I mean, because honestly, the concept is correct. It's just what what did they think was going to happen? Well, they thought we would run out of oil, mm -hmm. so we needed to. find We'd out. have to. Yeah, we'd yeah. have to find. Yeah. So that's the key. You know, you do these things when you feel you right. have to. And, and this a little bit interesting on the current kind of energy transition is we haven't run out. Mm -hmm. We just have decided we want to. And I hear that a lot. The folks who think we're going too fast in energy transition, their, their comment or complaint is we're trading, we're trading inexpensive and readily available mm -hmm. resource for more expensive and less available resource. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and their argument is we haven't ever done that, right? Typically, economics dictate, that's and right. you you stay with the cheap stuff as long as you can. Mm -hmm. So that's why we'll come back to carbon markets later, yes. later in the conversation. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, so before we get into the to that, tell us a little bit about, you said engineer, trading, and then corporate venture. So, I mean, 
How does that happen? That's just the natural progression of a career or what were you interested in that took you from one to the other right. to the other? You know, I, as I reflect on my career, there's been just pivots all the way through. And, you know, I'm a person, I like to tackle big problems. I like thinking about very big problems. And so even when I was in school, I started out being a physics major. I mean, what's, what's bigger than the problems that physicists think about? But I also like to be practical and solve things in the moment, which led me to say, I don't think I want to wait till I get three degrees and, and you know, stay on my parents' payroll mm -hmm. that long. I value independence a three, lot. Like three most... graduate degrees, not three degrees of temperature. <laughs> exactly. Since, yes, since my mind degrees. thinks net yeah. zero and... <laughs> Anyway, sorry, three so degrees. So I pivoted to become an engineer yeah. uh, so I could get out on my own and start making a difference in the world sooner. Um, so started working at the chemical plant and, you know, started naturally helping with the thinking around commercialization, like why do we need to do what we do and in the innovation space, what could we do better? And so that led me to pivot toward the commercial businesses. So I moved to Chicago to work in Amico's headquarters, optimizing the chemical supply chain um, and balancing with the capabilities of the plants around the world. Um, and from there, I pivoted into the trading organization. Um, again, that was a natural, like, like looking at an opportunity and moving toward it. And what I find is sometimes it's moving toward something that is of interest. And sometimes it's when a door starts to close a little mm. bit, and so you look for something else. And most of these pivots are a little bit of both, mm. you know, in, in some way or another. Um, in the trading organization, I bought crude oil for a refinery. I ran a nat gas a trading and marketing business in the mid-Atlantic U.S. I spent some time teaching people to be traders and marketers. I finally landed in the natural gas liquid space and ended up starting from a trading position after a lot of traders had left, managing positions all the way through multiple years, ended up the senior vice president of that business and running BP's global or North American NGL business at uh -huh. the time. I love NGLs because they're a commodity. It's a small commodity where relationships still matter, but yet they impact all the different other commodities. So we can talk a lot about that later, but the cross commodity aspect of NGLs was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. and, and you said relationships matter, meaning the, the client, the trading relationships, yeah. the customers. It's not just all done on a screen. Like right. it actually, you know, because it's um, very logistics dependent as mm -hmm. well, I think it, it requires a little more relationships yeah. to get things done. So I'm digressing there. Um, from there, I saw an opportunity and also I felt that I'd done what I needed to do in that business and so I was looking for what's next and moved into structured products, which is a financial business. So I was looking at how do I help uh, manage price risk for people in the NGL space and wanted to grow a new business around that for BP and, and really for the industry. But I will say that's one of the places where there was a little bit of closure of the window. Um, the customers weren't pricking up as much as I wanted. And then BP's capabilities started to change. So I was looking for what's next. And I had colleagues in the industry as well as customers asking me about, tell me more about how these renewable fuels work and what BP is doing in that space. So I started thinking about the business BP had built around renewable net gas and how they structured deals and looked at how could we apply that to renewable liquid fuels, like renewable diesels, sustainable aviation fuel, 
Um, and so started. And what, when, when would this have been, that. Angela? Uh, just to uh, context. 18, probably. Okay. So right at the beginning is this is really starting yeah, to take it was off. Really yeah, really starting to kind of build momentum. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's something I've always, always liked thinking about the future and the future of business and people. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, it was on my mind and with this background that my dad had also worked in this space and, and was interested in this stuff, you know, I think I had a natural inclination toward it. Um, so that's when I started pivoting and building a hopper of potential business around that. Uh, started thought leadership for BP around how they could use their cross-commodity capability to help customers transition through this space. Also looked Meaning at... Meaning transition from hydrocarbon fuel to fuels another. to renewable fuels. To another yeah. for the mm-hmm. future. So, um, and also uh, investigating the, the voluntary markets. Yep. So who would buy renewable nat gas just because they wanted to? You know, not to get the credits that you get for putting in a vehicle, but to run a power plant or to bake potato chips, you know, to fuel the Uh the ovens or the fryers. Um, So and then also looking at carbon offset products, which, again, we can come back. We're we're going to get there. yeah. 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 So ended up pivoting toward that at BP. Um, a great thing about an oil company is I can do all of those pivots within the context of one company. Right. The downside of that is you can kind of get stuck in the thinking of one company and one hierarchy. I got unstuck from that in 2020 at the kind of toward the end of the year in the fall and was looking for what's next. And a friend of mine, uh, actually a leader that I'd met in the NGL space, she suggested I talk to Williams about that they had done this commitment to get to net zero and were looking for people to figure out how to commercialize it and create a strategy. So in January in 21, I started uh, doing that. Yeah, one of the things you told <laughs> me that that was for the listeners who are earlier in early in their career, um, you said when you started as an engineer, you sort of set a goal of <laughs> spending, you, you were going to spend 30 years doing something and then you would think about retirement. And so it sounds like your retirement didn't last very long. Well, I um, wanted to be able to do something different. Yes. I didn't know what that was. Yes. Um, actually, one of the things I thought it might be was around education. But mm-hmm. um, and in a way. Still could be down could, the road. Could, we don't know. Could yes. still be. And in a way, strategy is about education, yeah. understanding, and then being able to share share your plans for the future. Sure. I'm looking at just some of the research notes here. You did. You talk about the benefits of working in a big company like that. You did as much really in those last three years as you did as far as different projects almost it looks like as you did in the first I mean you were there a long time but there's a lot that you did in the last three years with regard yeah actually and there was a period when I was in one business for a long time the NGL business about 10 or 12 years that was unusual because early in my career I was moving a lot as well and and companies go through phases like that Um, Amico and BP during the merger during the time you were bringing in other businesses they were teaching people to be generalist. Mm-hmm. You would change jobs right. every couple of years. But then when you're in a period of you've done all your consolidation, mm-hmm. you need to kind of bed down and get the, the, the synergies that you expected from all that. You need to like build specialist capabilities. Mm-hmm. And so I actually got to see both types of business models right. at BP as well. It was really cool. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, but you did, I mean, it's a, it's a great last three years at BP. I mean, just you did, you got to touch a lot of different renewable fuel aspects for well, sure. Well, that, that's a whole other conversation about the energy transition yeah. spaces. We don't know 
what you know what is really going to take off or not i mean i've come to believe you know at the beginning i was looking for what the one thing was going to be and now i'm more at a place where it's going to be kind of all of it and it's an evolving nascent mm-hmm. kind of in- industry and so you know right now we're at the space where people who are generalists who understand a lot about it each thing can help get this thing going um, but in the coming years, we're going to need those specialists that really get it into action. Angela, what do you think the, you've looked at a lot of different technologies and products, et cetera. Yeah. What do you, what do you think's closest to real sort of commercial liftoff? And what do you think is going to be slower? I mean, yeah. across the spectrum of things like renewable fuels or hydrogen or or CCUS, or I mean, you tell me, but um, and and I I totally blew our talking points. No, Josh, no, that's all right. I'm gonna from, I'm gonna skip over to where I yeah, wrote Yeah, I went that. from like front page to back page in terms of the, the Sorry, question yeah. list. Just, but, just in case I forget any. Yeah. Of um, so f- first of all, I think you need to look at both time frames. What you can do right now, mm-hmm. today, and make money at it, as well as what can you do today to make the future better yep. and then the future possible. Longer term stuff. In yep. this case, um, and you got to look at the different risk, and each of these things have different. So I think you've talked about this before on your podcast: the different risks, the tech, the scale up risk, the regulatory risk, the market risk. Um, what I am most excited about right now. And it's not quite, well, I, I think it is today because the, the, the opportunity for AI, artificial intelligence, to help us make a huge difference in efficiency. Okay. Now, why I say this is both today and tomorrow is because AI has been around for a really long time. And we've been using these kind of programs, you know, for a while. Like I, I in the, when I first moved to Chicago for Amico in the chemicals business, I was using, you know, computer simulations to help us optimize the supply chain. Um, but we're at a point, I think, with the generative AI that we can really take off to a different level. So I'm really excited about what's possible around that. So mm-hmm. just taking the energy efficiency to a new scale with emphasis on emissions as well as cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's just so much you could do around this. I'm excited about the opportunity to even shift demand. So you can imagine that I drive an electric car like I could get a notice on my car, or on my phone that says, you know, now's a great time to charge. The grid's running mostly on renewables and there's plenty of spaces that are stationed. Come by and we'll give you a coffee, you know, and then they could actually change demand uh-huh. by providing personalized offers to me based on what they know about where I am in the world and whether my car needs to be charged or not, for example. Uh-huh. So I'm excited about things like that all the way to optimizing traffic routing. Like I'm, you may have seen on your phone now that you can actually choose the shortest route or the most energy efficient route. I um, have not seen that. On, I have, I use Waze often. Is it, it's on Waze yeah, then, okay. yeah, yeah. I would, I'd be curious to know who would choose the longer energy efficient route. I am way too impatient to do that. It, it does, Greta it's not necessarily, probably it's not usually, necessarily the longer way either. I mean, it, it'll throw you on a highway, right, where you can, it's yeah. not It's not necessarily that much longer either, really. And this is really the key. Those things really should be congruent because saving energy 
yeah. should save yeah. emissions too, right? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, Less time your car's sitting in traffic, I guess. Yeah, right. so, but there is something about stop and go versus okay. continuous and all this. Yeah. So anyway, the computers can take that data and just do so much more with it mm -hmm. than we could do before. And I think there's a ton to be done on grid optimization in this space as well. Um, so, you know, this is a big topic that, that will need a lot of work as more things electrify and we get more renewables on the grid, both from the demand and the supply side, doing the balancing. Mm -hmm. Again, you can see how I might be willing to let the companies turn off my air conditioning for 30 minutes if it saved, if it helped balance the grid and save me some money, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the meantime. Um, and, you know, all the way to predictive maintenance and supply chain optimization, I think there's just a ton that could be done there. They're doing a lot of that stuff now. I mean, they are. Yeah. Yeah, we're just starting, and I think it's just going to take off. I agree with that. Yeah. I, and real quick, do you? I use Waze every single time I get in the car now. Every time. It's, it, it will take where, off. Where have you been, Josh? I, if I go home from this place, I will hit Waze. Yeah, to just make because sure. of the traffic. Right? It, I do, too. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going anywhere, even if I know exactly where I'm going, I'll hit Waze just to make sure there's not some traffic hiccup along the way now i'm not as dedicated to ways so it depends on what car i'm in i might use the, the navigation on the car right. or i might use my phone it, it just sometimes yeah, i look at several. reason i use the ways is because of traffic yeah it's it's i think it's better with traffic but you know that's something that's i feel helps with because I, I don't my car doesn't get great gas mileage i've thank you thank you as someone who <laughs> invests car. in oil and gas same car yeah. yes <laughs> but the other thing that we have is the nests and those mm -hmm. things automatically adjust. We signed up for the, there's a name on it. I can't think of what they call it, like the Nest Green or whatever. And they, you know, you'll come home and your house is seven degrees higher than when you left. And it's because they take over because they know you're not there. Yeah. And as soon as you walk in, it kicks on and drops it back down. Yep. That didn't used to happen. Those are some features that are new and taking over. And you can see how if this were done on scale. Correct. And on other things, you know, you could just really make a big difference. Yeah. So, so the, AI is at the, high on the list. That, that's high on the list. And then I, I would say what's needed most would be storage, you know, to figure out energy storage. I think and, a breakthrough and, in battery technology would be game changing. Um, you know, and what kind of, what, what breakthrough? The amount of, the, the speed at which you can store energy, the... Probably all of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and the amount that you can store, how yep. long you can store, I mean, all, all of those things would matter. Um, this is the great thing about nat gas is it can be stored and pulled out, you know, very easily stored and pulled out when it's needed. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think whether we have a breakthrough in some other kind of energy storage will make a difference on how much nat gas remains in the mix, mm -hmm. you know, for the future. So I think this is today, you know, most utilities are saying the lithium ion batteries that they can put in for battery storage or the battery that's going in with solar, it'll help for like three to four hours. Mm -hmm. Like it'll help with that daily peak. We've got to figure out the seasonal peak mm -hmm. and that's what Nat Gas does today. Um, the renewable fuels, I've done some, some research around that. A lot of it originated from when I was at BP. You know, there are some really neat technologies. People would call them maybe the third generation technologies, taking waste and turning them into products that some have, some have uh, byproducts like a graphene type that again mm -hmm. might end up in batteries or helping with the way that we do agriculture. So I think there's some, some things there. Those are all things that can be done 
you know, right, right now. Hydrogen is interesting. I have to remind myself it is not an energy source unless maybe we start down the fusion path. So I'll just say that I am nuclear curious. Mm-hmm. I haven't figured it out and I'm not a nuclear engineer, but you know, who, who knows what, what will happen in that space. I, I think I saw you <laughs> spoke at uh, Sarah Week last year. Did I see that? Or? I did last year. Okay. Not this year. Did you last. go this year though? I was not able to go. All right. This year. I it was a lot about hydrogen. That's why I was gonna. Yeah. I was wondering if you went this year. It was a lot about hydrogen. It was the the previous year as well. Okay. Um, energy companies are really excited about it. It is again. This is one of the things that was in my dad's book, and they did say hydrogen's great but expensive, because you make hydrogen from some other energy source. Mm. So by definition, it's going to be more expensive than those energy sources that you start with and probably significantly more expensive. And if you get to the situation where you're talking about creating hydrogen first and then turning hydrogen into ammonia to transport it and then turning it back to hydrogen and then, you know, you've just every step there has costs that add to it. Um, So, you know, I think that there's some ex- there's some and it also only be as clean as the energy sources that went into mm-hmm. it. I mean, we've been making hydrogen for a long time, mm-hmm. but it is not a clean source. And in fact, it creates a lot of emo- emissions that are in the world today. Um, you know, I do like the concept that if you had excess renewable energy that nothing else was could be done with it that you could store it as hydrogen. But this goes back to how is the storage problem going to be solved? Will it be solved by batteries? Or will it be solved by hydrogen? Uh-huh. Or will that gas be the winner? And that comes back to CCUS. So if you figure out CCUS, if that becomes, and we have. Carbon I mean, we, capture. Carbon yeah. capture. If you, we, we have figured it out, we can do it. It is not the cheapest, but I think there could be breakthroughs that'll help, help that going forward. Um, you know, if we figure that, particularly I like anything that utilizes the CO2 instead of just storing it. Yeah. Um, so if we have that situation, then I think that that is another breakthrough that all these pieces kind of move together. Yeah. So CCUS enables hydrogen to be made clean from that gas. But if you figured out CCUS, why do you need to take that step for hydrogen? Why not use the mm-hmm. nat gas in the first place? You can see how there are these dilemmas that come up you know, as you're kind of trying to peer around the corner and figure out what's next for the future. Yeah. So net zero was, yeah. was Williams a net zero player before you joined or did that happen concurrent? They, they had already made a net zero commitment before I joined. So in 2020, they made a, a net zero commitment mm-hmm. uh, by 2050. Yep. And they had an interim target, I think, of a 56% reduction from a previous level, probably 2005, yep. um, by 2030. So okay. they had set both those before before I got before there. Before you got there. Mm-hmm. And so talk to us now. You you come to, to Williams. You're now involved in a kind of corporate venture capital. We call them CVCs, a CVC effort. Mm. <clears throat> was, that, was that to make money? Was it to further net zero goals? Was it to yeah. to coincide with what Williams did to find ways to 
right? To work with. Well, the, the first thing business. is they they did not have a CDC when I joined. Okay. So they had the net zero commitment. Yeah. And then I joined to create the strategies on okay. the commercial strategies on how they would build businesses around getting there. Okay. And so the first task was to put lay out a commercial strategy and get that approved by the board, which we did in the first six months of being there. And it included all those things that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to one that we didn't, which was around uh, carbon offset products, so low carbon products and services. Mm -hmm. So could you do something where you could say that your transport was the lowest carbon yep. transport? And then also the CVC. So that first first six months there, getting the strategy to the board and getting it approved, and then after that, starting on implementing, which was creating the, the corporate venture capital. Yeah. So your question was, what was the purpose of the CVC? Yeah, yeah what were you supposed so, to do? <laughs> so the reason I liked having a CVC was to help with the innovative thinking and to be out there kind of always kind of keeping the company on edge and, and learning. On edge in a good way. On edge. Well, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's yeah. a fair question. Yeah. We love those. Yeah. And I mean, from my life. perspective, on edge from a good way. Yeah. I mean, there there may be others that would say, right. You know, not not as great because they would rather just focus on yeah. what they've always done. Perceived it as a risk to the traditional business <laughs> as opposed right. to an opportunity for it. Yeah. Um, and our our investment committee debated this a lot. Like, were, were we there to make money? or or to for the learning mm -hmm. i have to say i mean you're always there to make money so really the question is are you there to make money in a shorter term or a longer term mm -hmm. i was more toward the longer term thinking because i was thinking at more of from the strategic perspective yeah. um but you can kind of you can see it see it either way and that's what capital allocation is all about like what resources do you put toward delivering in the short term and what are you putting uh, for the future. Uh -huh. And so what's your what's your sort of hallmark transaction there or what you know when you look back you say well we did this and this was the coolest thing I worked yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, the first couple of investments that Williams did was around uh, investing in funds mm -hmm. because they really kind of wanted to kind of get their feet wet and uh -huh. learn about how everything worked. Um, but after that, um, I was trying to solve a problem for the company, and this is, you know, answering the question, can nat gas be an authentic part of the energy transition mix for a long term? That was just a question on my mind. It was what Williams needed to figure out for their strategy. And so I was investigating that. There's a concept called responsibly sourced gas out uh -huh. there in the marketplace, so I was researching that. Um, and really started coming to an investment thesis around, you know, we needed something to help like embed that authenticity that nat gas can be produced cleanly, move throughout the whole supply chain in a clean manner. And so, you know, I'm gonna fast forward, but the, the investment that we ended up doing after doing a lot of work and looking at different alternatives that may not have included a CVC, like partnering and building our own, all those things we mm -hmm. looked at, finally decided to use the corporate venture capital capability to do some investments. And it was a complicated deal with three parties, uh, Context Labs, uh, Encino Environmental, and Satlantis. Context Labs is a data platform that uses machine learning to bring in data 
around carbon emissions across the whole supply chain. And then they use AI to analyze it, help provide insights on how to prevent emissions moving forward, and then puts the data through the whole supply chain on a blockchain so that you can have authentic record of the carbon emissions through the whole supply chain. Well, by the way, I'm, I'm interrupting because the words <coughs> AI and blockchain have been work, worked together here, mentioned together here. I mean, this is, this is like a quadrillion dollar market cap company. It <laughs> must be given we're talking AI and blockchain at the same time. That's a joke. Well, yeah, um, yes. <laughs> but anyway, so it's kind of cutting edge stuff. It is. And I will say, I mean, like, like yeah, a lot of people use these words. Mm -hmm. um, I was impressed and thought that it was the right deal to make because of the people mm -hmm. that were behind it. The, okay. the founder had done pioneering work uh, in the past. Um, around actually around voice over internet so the mm -hmm. technology that people might be using today to, to watch yeah. this podcast even well probably not maybe making a phone maybe call if we were doing the zoom the if right. we were doing the zoom if we were doing this virtual um, so he, you know that that's part of what made me believe in this mm -hmm. particular company and that this investment was real um, Encino Environmental is doing a lot of cutting edge stuff around monitoring for methane emissions okay. using multiple different technologies. They weren't just implementing one technology, so that's why we like them as a partner in that deal. And then Satlantis is uh, looking at monitoring the methane from the satellites. So the idea is you would put the different layers of data all together. Now, the hard part of this, and you know, we can geek out around this, and I, I wasn't the technical expert. I had team members that were fabulous, but all this data will not be exactly compatible. Yeah. And so this is why you need you know, advanced computing to kind of figure out how are those emissions appropriately allocated across the mm -hmm. supply chain. Now, what I'm excited about this is that I think the way this commercializes is in the future particularly when the net zero commitments start coming due or even the climate commitments, you know, mm -hmm. you commit to a certain reduction. What you want is the lowest carbon intensity nat gas used in your processes because that'll cost the least to offset or to pay a carbon tax on or whatever we mm -hmm. think the future of the world is. So that's where the commercialization you know, comes to in the future. Yeah. And in the meantime, it helps tell the authentic story that you're doing something about emissions mm -hmm. and you're committed now. to being transparent yeah. about it now. Yeah. So that was three companies. Yeah. Are they combined into one company now? They're not. Or? They are okay. separate companies. They're right. just working together. So it's a but our investment JVs, was in yeah. kind of all, all okay. of them. Yeah. Wow. That sounds complicated to bring it was that a complicated many people deal. to the table. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I assume that wouldn't have happened without you guys sort of being the puppet master, if you will. I mean, as no, the driving, they, driving actually, force behind um, it? Actually, another, another company, BP, Boone Pickens Energy Partners, yep. had already like identified some of this. Okay. So, so I, had, I benefited from the work that okay. they, had, they had started in Interesting. that space. Okay. Um, and I mentioned Net Zero. Are you a... Are you a passionate net zero person? Are you a pragmatic net zero person? I mean, you think we're going to get there? <laughs> How do you think about, you know, the goals we have out there? Yeah, so on passion versus pragmatic, I would say both. Mm. 
I mean, and that that's just how I am. I, so. I almost answered this for her. Oh, yeah. What would you say? But I would have said both. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I'm glad it was not a lightning round question. Yeah. Well, because I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you, and I'm wondering if the audience is picking up the genius of what's really going on here. And, and I'm serious because... You know, and I'm in the presence of you, Dan. No, no, no listen. I mean, but I, and I hope, and I'm, I'm actually staying quiet. This is what I'm writing down because I want them to hear what they're really hearing. This is, you know, and I'm glad you asked that question next because this is what I was writing. You know, when you, you kind of blew through Chicago as though it was just a stop along the way, but you actually got an MBA there. I did. Okay. Yep. And you know, you have a, you have an MBA. You have your chemicals, so you have both sides of this. You said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn this aspect of it, and then I'm going to learn the commercialization of mm-hmm. it. So you didn't just learn one discipline. You learned two disciplines along mm-hmm. the way. So you said, how do I make this great, and then how do we commercialize it, or mm-hmm. how can I help commercialize it? And then you go through this, and I heard you say, well, you know, I wanted to maybe go into teaching, right? So you learn, mm-hmm. like, how can I help others get better at this? So there's the mm-hmm. passion side of it because mm-hmm. that's what teaching ultimately is, is helping others be better at this. And I imagine that your dad – put a lot of this passion into you with what he was doing. And you mentioned his books. I'm just mm-hmm. thinking about what he probably taught you. Both him and my mom. Okay. So my mom did, she, she, she was, was the, uh, yep. a, she, she taught math at, at the college level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, my parents were both teachers as well. So I imagine there's a lot of passion yeah. that, and education that, and just the, the, the desire to really want to get behind things. So I'm listening to you and I kind of looked at, again, I go back to your, your resume, if you will. And the learning, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but like to spend that much time at a big company, people can get institutionalized. And I, again, I don't mean that. <laughs> institutionalized, but they can, I though. love it. They can though, they can, get, they can get caught in a silo in these big companies and they yeah. don't really wanna go beyond where they are in, in just that, that's where they are, right? I mean, that's a great, and they're all great companies. They really, these big companies do such a good job of keeping their institutionalizing their employees evidently. but i mean they i look i don't mean it just is what it is so i mean i'm i i stand by that comment <laughs> and like you moved on you and you've gone a couple of different places and then i hear you know the the movement into williams and what you're doing there and i was listening to you explain that i'm thinking she's constantly learning she's constantly you know try, actively learning actively um teaching experience and then i wrote back and i'm looking at this question and the next one is or one of the things that dan wrote is is it pragmatic or passionate? I'm like, it's both. That was what I was going to say. So when he asked that, and I was, and I was, as I was preparing to kind of talk, I was thinking, I hope the audience is really listening to what kind of people are solving these problems. And that, you know, again, I'm enjoying the conversation, but I want them to like start listening. This isn't someone selling a product. This is someone solving a problem and explaining how they get to this problem solving. So Mm. There, yeah, I'm, I'm jumping well, in on your you. conversation, but I'm, I'm hearing <laughs> what you're saying. It's really interesting as you're getting to this point. So there, yeah. see, I'm loving this podcast. What, what you're saying is this, it's not all Greta Thunberg's involved. It, this in the is exactly transition. what I'm saying. There's yes. actual desire to fix things from people that want to learn and then teach people how to do it better and make money along the way for everybody. That's really nice, Josh. <laughs> It is. Excellent. So you said both pragmatic I and would. passionate. And I think being I'll an see you opt- guys in ten minutes. I yeah. think being an optimist is <laughs> <laughs> being an optimist is a, a big part of it too. Yeah. And just liking being in action. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? I can just throw all these You're done. Just throw I all told you. <laughs> yes, I love it. 
I told you we were the best. I wanted to do that. Like, yeah, I wanted to be done. like a talk show know, and throw the cards. We'll put them on the table. You can you swipe go. them off. Yeah. We'll yeah. move the espresso Angela first. Angela definitely yeah. wins the, she wins the prize for the most, most prepared po- that's right. podcast I ever. saw that and I was like, oh, we're going to screw this yes. up for a big time. Yes. <laughs> no chance exactly. of that. Well, lasting. I wanted to be able to throw the cards, but yes. then I realized, see, they kind of did a paper airplane thing. This, it looked, we'll make that on camera. Laura, did you get that on camera? Yeah. We'll make that look great. Trust me. Um. I think we've I think we've covered the passionate versus pragmatic yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty well. So you're you're now involved in a company that's sort of facing all of the issues around energy transition. Mm-hmm. So tell everybody what Parkland does so we can talk about the things that they're thinking about and and how, you know, how you're kind of helping them through that. Right. So Parkland is a Canadian base. They're out of Calgary. Uh, fuel supplier and marketer and convenience store operator. They also have a refinery in Vancouver. It's a beautiful refinery up on the side of a hill overlooking a bay there in Vancouver. Vancouver's great. Yeah. So for me, it was an opportunity to learn about governance and how boards work from the mm-hmm. inside. It was just a totally different um, you know, way of thinking and a way of being in my career that I was, you know, excited to explore. Sure. I honestly thought it would be something a little further down the road for me. Um, time-wise. Time-wise. Mm-hmm. But I had started preparing for it a couple of years earlier. I'd started doing some research and working, uh, going to some events uh, like 50-50 Women on Boards. Actually, I would take clients and customers and counterparties to to those meetings, and I found that women in the space really appreciated, you know, instead of going to a golf event, you know, going to a personal development type event. So mm. we, we would do that, and that helped get my thinking, um, and, and had a really good friend who also had joined corporate boards, um, left, left uh, management at Enterprise to do corporate boards. So yeah. started thinking about it when the opportunity came. It was a, a call from a headhunter, um, actually through LinkedIn. You know, and so I, I, I answer I answer when people ask me questions on LinkedIn as no, well. Oh, you better be careful. <laughs> yeah. You will have new so, friends. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, are, you don't know so how big the show is, but keep I, going. I really fit with Parkland because I have that all that supply and optimization experience uh-huh. that we talked about that I gained at, at BP on the trade floor. Yeah. Um, but also I have that thinking about the energy transition and this company is doing that that kind of thinking as well. Um, they are thinking very seriously about it. They are doing what's called co-processing of renewable fuels at that refinery. So that means that you bring in the renewable feedstocks. Um, often it's canola oil or animal fat. They're pretty flexible about the fuels that they can bring in there. And then they process it alongside the crude oil to make um, a product that includes renewable fuels. Turns it into gasoline with a component of renewable. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so then they're also doing a lot of thinking and have started doing implementations around EV charging as yep. well. Yeah. 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 If you're distributing gasoline today, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to be thinking about a lot of things. Yes. What's gasoline going to look like in the future? What are cars going to look Correct. like in the future? What is um, our gas station? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and do you think um, is ev adoption fast enough that every gas station owner ought to be worried about their business or is it going to be a process that allows them to sort of get involved in the in the kind of 
electrification along the way. Yeah, well, I think it's definitely an opportunity. And um, like you said, the gas station of the future, you can actually look up, Parkland calls it the electric charging destination of the future. They actually ran a, um, a contest and had architects from around the world uh, design what one looks like. So if you look that I up, would be it's, very it's a, in that. it's a what, great what thing it? to see. They called it the electric charging destination of the future because you're not going to call it a gas station. We'll yeah. put a link to that <laughs> because we actually had a guy on early in the podcast that talked about just EV charging stations and some of the uh, constraints of like talking to apartment complexes, right? So if you own your home, it's maybe easy to put a charging station yep. if you own. But what if you don't own? Or what if you live in an apartment complex? Right. And how do you charge at that point? So um, I'll be. I'll, we'll put a link to that. Yeah. Uh, in our yeah. Show notes. I, again, I think it's going to be in all of all of these things. Um, I drive an electric vehicle today. I think it's kind of a game and fun to just see where I can get free charging in the world. So. There are what some, percentage of the time do you get free charging? Oh, very small because okay. I don't I don't need it either. Uh -huh. um, but there are some places like restaurants and things where you can plug in while you're in dining. There are right. some hotels that have free charging. Uh, office some some office buildings some some parking garages do some hospitals do. So, you know it just you know if it's there I'll use it, but I don't need to seek it out because I do have it in my right. garage at home. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be the dynamics around. Does does that business make money? Does offering electricity to EV owners make money? I mean, a whole different topic, but yeah. um, it's it's such a different supply chain mm -hmm. than the one we have today. That's right. Uh, and and it's not. It's it's something that um, when you buy that electric vehicle, you immediately are thrust into that new environment. Am yeah. I charging at home? What, right. what am I doing? You so, were there. I was there at one point in time. That's right. I think we'll all own electric vehicles probably in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, we'll just see how convenient it is to own electric vehicles over time. It better, it better be convenient, right? If it isn't, people will go slower. Well, it, if it, it is, yeah. they'll go faster. That's right. That's I think. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So you were knee-deep in running businesses and now you're in governance mm -hmm. has that transition been hard or easy or in between or it's, it's just different so i will say the hardest part i found because i started this job while i was still at williams okay and the hardest thing i found was managing the time uh, the time commitment mm -hmm. um, yeah it's it, not like you don't have other things going on either yeah, and you know, I yeah. talked to some other board members and they will say you can do two or three, you know, two or three boards, like three boards would probably be equal to a 40-hour job. Okay. But I'm not the kind of executive who only works 40 hours. And and please many of my colleagues Please watch our video and look at her notes. If anybody <laughs> has any doubt yeah. about this, please, please check out the show video. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, you know, even so, so that's a difference, you know, uh -huh. so I was trying to work more than 40 hours in a full time job I doing important this. work for Williams and trying to to be on the board. And it was a new board. I had lots to learn both about the company and about governance. So I found that to be the most challenging. Also, traveling during COVID to Calgary was a whole uh -huh. was a whole thing as well. for your for your board meetings. Yeah, yeah. for the board uh -huh. meetings. Yeah. Um, Probably the the most difficult part of the mindset change is that you're not management. You're there, you're a governance, you're a partner around strategy, 
but you don't overstep the boundaries into action. And we've already talked about that I'm a very action-oriented mm -hmm. person, so I've really had to like think about that mindset difference and, and be mindful. And mm -hmm. I'm glad I have a lot of colleagues on the board who help me with that yeah. and say, you know, that's enough, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, as mm -hmm. well. Um, what I found easy is that there are a lot of resources out there to help us with it. So the National Association of Corporate Directors, they have meetings here in Houston. They have tons of resources online. Um, I even got directorship certified this January. It was a whole process of studying and taking an exam. Interesting. Um, so that's kind of a, a check mark it is. for being a, a, on a board of a public company. Yeah, and it's not required. And mm -hmm. probably most board members don't have it yet, but kind of the new generation of yep. board members and people seeking to be on boards, like it's it's a right. stamp of commitment. Just National like Association of Corporate degree. Directors, yeah. directorship certified. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, there was a time when being on a board meant you were a, a, a crony of the mm. CEO and boards were stacked in favor of kind of, you know, it's like, hey, you're my friend, come be on this board. Um, and I think the whole governance movement over the last mm. probably 15 years has really professionalized boards, right. you know, across yeah. all industries. The stakes have changed. For, yeah, for yeah. Yeah, activist investors, et cetera. For, yeah, for shareholders yeah. benefit, yeah. for sure. And I would say the most fun part has been, you know, dr diving into the strategy and the capital allocation and thinking about the things we've already talked about, like yeah. how do you balance between your short-term results and and profits and what you do for the future in the yeah. long term. Yeah. And those trade-offs are not always easy to to figure out in the heat of the moment. <laughs> I want to I want to make sure we have time to talk about this discussion of carbon and carbon tax and carbon offsets okay. because it's it's a we've talked about it a number of times on the podcast it's complicated but i want to do it kind of from a hopefully fun perspective which is okay so you've been in and around this angela make the case that we ought to have a carbon tax in the u.s or globally and and then we're gonna go from there yeah, so let's first say nobody likes taxes. So I'll, I'll you know, start with that and say, I like to think of it more of as a price on carbon. And let's be clear, it's carbon dioxide emissions. Okay. So sometimes we get those confused. Carbon, we're all made of carbon. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but we will use a carbon tax as, as the short uh -huh. for it. Um, you know, this could be the real missing link to allow innovation and optimization by providing the economic incentives to reduce emissions. You know, so it's not just a nice to have, there's dollars behind it so that you can, you know, put your economics and see the payback and get on with doing all these things. Yeah. If you know you're going to have to pay something yeah. and you know the price of that, yeah. you can then run the economics. Y yeah, and, and it you gives you the this, returns. This carbon mitigation pro project has an X percent return mm -hmm. because it, of it, it takes away that thinking of, well, will shareholders really value it if I get to net zero by 2030 or mm. 2040 or, you know, like trying to figure all that out. Um, there's some good things about the revenue generation. So you can see Canada has some forms of carbon tax and they give a rebate back to people who have under a certain income on their income taxes. So you can give the funds back to the people that are underserved or, or don't have as much for the families and communities. 
Um, you could also use the revenues for R&D um, for the energy transition space to, to fund the, all the work that we need to figure out these technologies. You could use the funds for climate adaptation. So what we might need as the world continues to warm or if we don't get things yeah. done as quickly as we like. Spending money um, on fixing the, the results of warming, you're saying? Yeah, or making us more resilient so yeah. we don't... The Build impacts, a seawall or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, or you know, raise houses yeah. or more air conditioning. I mean, all those, all those yeah. things. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, that they also talk about is what if demand is inelastic? What if people still want to do these things even though there's a carbon price to buy whatever product? Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is that a carbon tax allows for that too because right. then you just tax it. And right. then you could theoretically use that money for direct air capture or some mm -hmm. other emissions reduction technology, you know, that will, will you know, make it back into balance. Okay. Now, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you keep going. You're on a roll. No, no, well, I'm, you were going to ask me why, what's I, the... <laughs> I was going to say, I, actually, those are good yeah. reasons. I, I'm, I'm, I hate taxes, and I listen to what she says, and I'm like, I could... Yeah. It, there's a big if there yeah. because you're saying we could use the money to do these things. Mm -hmm. So two questions. One, do you think we can actually, that there will be some sort of carbon tax because mm. it's a political thing. Right. And then Fair. two, do you think if we had a carbon tax, the money would actually go to those well, areas? Well, of course, the, the, these are the, these yeah, are the problems, right? Right, right. right. So Settle in, folks, all, five hours, yeah, five hours of conversation right. coming up. Yeah. If so, you haven't punched the steering wheel already. <laughs> yeah, no one wants more taxes. I don't right. either, really, but okay. But first of all, yes, I mean, it's, there are already forms of carbon tax that exist in the world today. Um, there are, they're implemented as fees, like on, on fuels in certain parts of the world, we have cap and trade. So these things are already being implemented. Uh -huh. So it is possible. Um, the, the difficulty is, is can you do it fairly and consistently? And this is a huge rub. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to implement this mm -hmm. consistently and transparently across all forms of energy and goods and services across the world. I mean, that's, that's what yeah. we would really need, right? Very, I mean, whatever sentence comes next is, <laughs> is already hard. Now, people are already working on these problems. I mean, the European Union has a cross-border tax. I mean, uh -huh. they, they're trying to figure this out. Um, and then on top of all that, can you even measure emissions well? I mean, that's the problem that um, you know I was working on solving with that investment at, at Williams. So, uh -huh. so all of this is there that, that says you know I, I you know can can the whole world agree on one price on carbon? No, you know will markets start to develop and will we move toward more toward a a, a price on carbon? Probably. Uh -huh. Okay. We'll leave the we'll leave the would the money actually get spent on well, all the good things? Who knows, right? Right, we're going to leave that alone because it's an unanswerable it question. It's not answerable. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and would take could potentially take forever. So, yeah. um, if the world's moving toward more of a carbon price on carbon, yeah. like you just described, if if it does move that direction, um, talk to us about carbon markets because. Saw a thing on Bloomberg recently that called it an impending trillion dollar market. Right. Then you hear all sorts of things about 
fake credits and double counting and mm. it it's a it's not defined yet yeah, and so not. talk to us about carbon markets make yeah. us smarter well so first i, I do think like a trader <laughs> start with me <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that, I, so i i think like look a at trader. josh <laughs> pretend he knows nothing yeah. and go from there so I think like a trader, and so I love the idea of letting markets do the work. Yep. Like, so I, I love that idea. And so I like the idea of carbon offsets. I mean, the, the rubber will be meeting the road on, on these net zero commitments and climate commitments. I mean, some as early as 2035 and then 2040 and 2050. And again, most have committed to net zero, not absolute zero, and yep. net zero leaves room for using, I think, a mm -hmm. carbon offset type product. So a carbon offset is essentially saying that somewhere in the world, someone has reduced emissions, and it's usually in by one met ton. Mm -hmm. And then you put a price on the value of reducing emissions by one met ton, and that's a carbon offset. Now, gets super complicated super quick. So <laughs> I don't know if we can get into all of it, but you can imagine that that's not a standard product. So for something to be traded, we usually, in the matter of commodities, pick a, a place and a time and a quality of the commodity. Like mm -hmm. WTI. One barrel, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. One barrel of WTI, you know, at a certain location, Cushing, Oklahoma, like Cushing, yeah. Oklahoma mm -hmm. for WTI or Henry Hub for Nat Gas. Um, these are projects that are all over the world, and you can imagine that they're different quality of projects, and people have different opinions on what counts. How much would you pay a Nat Gas company for reducing their methane emissions and stop leaking methane into the air? You know, mm -hmm. that would probably be less than what you would pay someone to remove carbon out of the air and sequester it permanently in the ground. So you can see that there would be a very widespread, and the prices indicate that. I mean, carbon offsets can trade, I mean, you can say worthless, but you know, there's a bunch that trade around 50 cents a met ton, a bunch at $3 a met ton. Then you get to kind of compliance grade. That means carbon offsets that can be used to meet regulatory obligations, like in California those 10 to ten to twenty dollars per met ton and then there have been press releases that some companies like tech companies have paid a hundred dollars a ton mm. for sequestration into the into the soil or into natural uh -huh. places so it's a huge range and that that really becomes the problem like is it just reducing emissions or is it actually removing addition, emissions? That's one of the big divisions on, on how the pricing happens. Do you think, how far, how far away f are we from some sort of standardization? In other words, you set, a, you set a, an example of this is gonna be X yeah. and then you might pay two X and you might pay <laughs> half X depending on quality. And, yeah, it's, it sounds hard, but it is hard, and there there are several different companies, kind of rating you know, agencies, right? Agencies as well as trade, you know, brokers and traders uh -huh. trying to kind of get this standardized. My guess is that by by twenty thirty, we're going to have something figured out where significant amounts can trade because again, well, either. 
these climate commitments, you know, are going to be met by using tools like this, or I think maybe they won't be met. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the really fascinating things to me is right now, the goals that people have set are, the, are exactly that. They're goals. Mm-hmm. Nobody goes to jail if they don't make them. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're embarrassed if if they don't hit their targets. Management teams won't be there at 2050. Yeah, I mean, today's CEOs are going to be long retired right. in, in many instances. So um, we have a we have an entire system building around voluntary compliance, mm-hmm. which at some point, if it either doesn't become law or if it doesn't become standardized, then, I mean, what's it really mean? I'm yeah. net zero. See my nine footnotes. Yeah. Um, and so it runs the risk of cheapening the whole thing. Uh, or it, in the upside case, it becomes credible. It's like, ah, oh, these guys really are doing yeah. it. Um, pricing things and markets driving things, I, I agree with you, um, how, how we get it implemented. It's going to be rough. I yeah. mean, you know, and, and we've gone through several cycles of commodity markets becoming commodity markets. Yes. I mean, and so I think the world knows how to do this. It, yes. it will take some time. And really, you know, the problem today is people just aren't sure what they need. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not sure what's credible in the marketplace. Right. What do you mean they're not sure what they need? Um, companies just don't know what what will be credible mostly like what will be credible well they're not even sure what in some cases am i trying to offset all all the emissions from my operations am i trying to offset customers emissions like what does the world want from me yeah scope one scope two scope three it's really i mean it's intriguing to me because um first you have to measure then you got to count on other people measuring their stuff. You add them together. Mm-hmm. Then you got to offset them. What's the quality of the offset? Um, the error bars on this seem like they're they're huge. Mm-hmm. And again, it comes back to right now everybody sort of gets the benefit of the doubt. It's like, oh, net zero, that's good. <laughs> um, as you get closer, it's like, are you actually doing mm-hmm. anything? And um, and does it show up in value, whether yeah. that's stock market value or? You know, I'm also struck, Angela, and you've lived this world. Um, markets with a lot of uncertainty and kind of opaque price discovery. Mm-hmm. You know, I think back to the early days of the electricity market. Right. I mean, people made fortunes by you know, being smarter than other people. You know, at the end of the day, there was so much right. uncertainty. The margins around this were really made a bunch of money, lost a bunch of money. There's going to be a lot of financial players, I think, that get involved in this. Well, and in this case, what governments do matter. Yeah. You know, so there's there's so much regulatory risk as well in this space. So, yeah. yeah. Angela, as you think about the world today, wearing all the hats that you, that you wear, other things that we should talk about, um, you know, one thing that, that's worthwhile, you mentioned it, you, you were passionate about kind of helping people learn. Mm-hmm. And you talked about, um, you know, women in energy. Yes. And so do you think the world's getting better for women in energy? It is better, but not enough. Okay. And particularly, I, I thought that this energy transition would be a real opportunity for women to really move into the space. Mm-hmm. 
And in fact, I think it was, well, it was in 2020, pre-pandemic, like early, um, I went to a green business conference um, in Arizona with a couple of colleagues from BP. And man, they were like, they looked around and they're like, oh my gosh, there's so many women here. Uh-huh. You know, and, and they were mostly sustainability managers at yes. that point. Now, I made them count. Six. It was 50 50. Okay. Okay. But to them, 50 50 right. sounded, felt like the majority because mm-hmm. they weren't used to seeing sure. 50% women there. Right. 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 So that, that's one interesting thing is mm-hmm. our perceptions, you know, of what is yeah. mostly one or the other. Um, so I was, I was really hopeful and I felt really comfortable at that conference, just loved it. But what I've seen since, as I moved more toward the business development, there still weren't a lot of women making that pivot into the space. And it's really too bad because because it's nascent, we're all learning. We're yeah. not dependent on the 20 years of knowledge that we knew before. Yes. Like it's a, it's a, a time where you could kind of start from the beginning. But yeah. what I'm seeing is not enough women in commercial roles. Um, and so I'm really trying to encourage, you know, as many as I can to say, you know, if you're interested in this, you know, this, this, is, an, this is the moment, this is an opportunity where you can mm-hmm. make a difference in a new space. Well, I mean, you, you've seen our podcast? It's, uh, yeah. we've had quite a few women. You have. Absolutely. Yeah, you have. Because I, I feel that we, and I think we've even talked about that on the podcast. It does feel, because, you know, we, we support oil and gas as well. I mean, we support yeah. everything throughout. And it's it does feel like there's more coming into this space. And we've met quite a few new people and um, women in energy, women in in this transition feels yeah. like, and they're, they're younger too that, I, that I've seen. Um, but it, it definitely feels like there's there's people that I haven't met before. I will say that. There's yeah. a lot of new people that I've never seen before in my 20 previous years of oil and gas. And to hear that 50-50 number, I still haven't seen that. That's Well, I don't. It, I physically I don't see it, no. that back in Houston. Yeah. You know, yeah, okay, at the business development and at conferences about commercial deal making. And mm-hmm. in the CVC space, you do not. Yeah. Or in the VC space, you mm-hmm. don't. Um, this was in the matter of like sustainability managers, right. like people who are ESG professionals. Mm-hmm. You'll see more women in okay. that space. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I've talked to some of my um, younger generation colleagues about this. And what they tell me is they're like, we see. The women are like, we see. We see who's in leadership. We see who's in positions of power, who has the power and the deal making authority. And, you and know, if we don't yet. if we don't see the shift, we will just move to somewhere else where yeah. there will be eventually. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why why it hasn't picked up as much as I had hoped it would, because the pipeline at the bottom is very strong, but it's not translating all the way through. And mm-hmm. in some cases, like what I'm trying to do is start from the top. And right. so hopefully we'll meet in the middle. So, yeah. What um, what resources would you recommend for Houston women in energy because you said you don't see the you don't see that mix yeah there's the women energy network so i did a a a panel for them earlier this year so i think that's a great a great resource um and then you know it's 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 actually i think men have a big part to play in this conversation because when like dan if you were mentoring me in the vc space Mm -hmm. well let's talk about the vc space yeah. Let's not just talk about what it's like to be a woman in the VC space. Right. Exactly. And and that's what a lot of men do. And they're 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 trying to be helpful because they want to learn and they want to learn how they can help. But really what we need is, 
you know, to, to that that support and that um, you know that backing right. around the actual deal making. Yeah, just get the, good, right? Just yeah. get good, right? Uh -huh. But also be recognized for getting yeah. good. You can't just sit at your desk and right. be great without being recognized. I mean that that networking. Yep. That being part of the conversation and the thought leadership is an important part as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna take a giant nosedive down in thought leadership as okay. we head to our lightning round. Oh, fun. Which has just before we do that, just okay. so you know, we've actually um, we announced this during OTC that in we were this podcast was the official energy and transition media partner for OTC, which is a unique statement yeah, in and of itself. That's awesome. Uh, and we announced that we are starting a uh, women in energy podcast strictly to to bring in just a new and we're not hosting it obviously mm -hmm. um there'll be two ladies hosting the podcast strictly for you know whatever they want to talk about however they want to do it so it's not going to just be women in energy it, it's going to be whatever subjects they want to talk about across the board i've actually talked to rachel uh with pickering energy partners she's phenomenal she's, rachel is phenomenal yes she is and um <laughs> you know she has a bunch of different subjects that she's kind of thrown out there. Um, but the goal is to just give a, really a megaphone to people that have yeah. great ideas and great subjects that are entertaining that can lead people. So, you know, we realize that we have a platform here to do this. And, um, you know, so we don't take that platform lightly. Just, yeah. I love that. Thank I you. I did not know that. Well, that's great. We, we actually haven't, uh, I haven't seen you since OTC. No, that's right. Yeah. So this is the first time I've seen you. But to, uh, But to hear you say that, I just wanted to let you know that that's something that we do take seriously. So love it, that. Yeah. And I'll be happy to, you know, use the rest of my notes. Throw them everywhere. <laughs> Throw them everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> Another time. Yes. So Angela, the rules of the lightning round are really simple. Okay. You, you don't get to expound on your answers. It's typically a yes or a no or an A or a B. So, um, and it, 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 it's fun, but there are some serious questions uh, mixed in and it's a different way of our audience kind of getting to, to right. know you. So. Sometimes I'm a rule follower and sometimes I'm not. So let's see. There we go. <laughs> Great so. job on these questions today, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I started laughing at a couple of these. There we go. I will start. <laughs> Steak or fish? Depends on the time and place. She's already broken. She's already broken the rules. <laughs> what are you doing here? It's, okay. You got an A or B yes Who's or no? Who's cooking? These are all, you're 0 for 2 on this. <laughs> okay, go ahead. You don't Josh. get to eat at all. You're yeah. out on both those. Uh, cash or crypto? Cash. <laughs> See, but you should research how much oh crypto, my gosh, she is. how much energy crypto is using in, in Texas. That is true. <laughs> Ted Lasso or Tiger King? Oh, Lasso, for sure. By the and Ms. Maisel. That's a funny show. It's a good show. Tiger King, hilarious. I'm, I hadn't thought about that since COVID. That's what, <laughs> that was my COVID go-to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, S&P 500 for the rest of 23, bullish or bearish? I want to be bullish, but I'm afraid it's sideways. <laughs> Uh, pipeline or trading desk? Trading desk. That's the first one you've gotten right. Good job. Here. Taylor Swift or James Taylor? That depends on the mood. <laughs> and activity. <laughs> Are you in favor of a carbon tax? Yes or no? Oh, wow. No, because I don't want taxes. But yes, because I want things to happen. <laughs> She's in the running for an economist on the one hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tesla Model 3 or uh, Toyota Tundra? Tundra, because I already have a Tesla Model 3. Okay. Mm. Does the Ukraine conflict continue into 2024? Mm. Sadly, probably, yes. 
country or top 40? That depends on the place. Top 40 today. <laughs> work from the office or work from home? Office. Um, another IRA type of bill in the next three years? No. Lego Star Wars or Lego Safari? Star Wars. A Colorado summer or a, or a San Diego summer? Colorado. There you go. And the only consistent lightning round question, will the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl in the next decade? Yes. Great Because I thought you wanted to hear that. Amazing, yes. yes. <laughs> Tell them what they want to hear. That's right. Welcome back. Yeah. Um, Angela, thank you so much for joining us. Always a, a, a pleasure to visit with you, and, and thanks for coming on our podcast. Oh, thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun. Great job.